What up, bros? What up, bros? And welcome to Brah Meets World. And it's Brah Meets World. Your boy Meets World Fun Cast. I am Siege. I'm Tony Curtis. How are you, sir? Um, yeah, we're back for another episode. Uh, it's so funny. It, uh, I was, of course, I'm like doing all of this like work on our pod, and I went back and I listened to the pilot episode. And you go and you do that. You um, and uh, I was like, every episode, you were like, every episode, and I was like, oh, we've literally been doing it every episode. That little, uh, <laughs> what is Brad That little intro thing, yeah, you know? yeah, wow, absolutely. it stuck around since the pilot. Look at it's that, it's the pilot, it's crazy. I was like, oh, we've been doing this. Um, I think we're in really good spirits. Um, some things that we will be talking about in a later episode, uh, just know that I think that we're, we're in a good place. I'm feeling great. Um, what okay. Siege is referring to is we'll the fact talk that... about later. We will talk, okay, okay, about, yeah, we'll talk later. about later. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm feeling um, good. It's been a great week, and I'm really excited to jump into uh, this ridiculous episode with you. Absolutely. Uh, really quickly, I want to tell you: Have you seen this episode? Has like a B storyline with Matthew Lawrence. Um, did it has a B see... storyline. Or a B storyline. Oh, oh. A non-B B storyline, if that makes sense. No. <laughs> you know what? None of it does. Um, but did you see the clip I sent you on Matthew Lawrence from his podcast, Brotherly Love? Oh, a hundred percent. For those who don't know what we're talking about, Matthew Lawrence said on his podcast that he had basically a Me Too type of incident where he got sent by his agency to a director's hotel room. Um, he was basically approached saying, hey, if you if you want to make it in this business, kid, that whole thing and walked out and got dropped by his agency and like a really sad story. And I just I like when you showed it, you sent it to me. I was like, wow. Like, and and the thing I kept thinking about was just like, Matthew Lawrence is not like, nobody like his brother's famous like he's part of like kind of like a a, a a legacy family in a way and that even happened to him like it really doesn't matter you know what i mean does not matter doesn't matter at all and i like first of all again just applause for him for even being vulnerable enough to share that information Absolutely. Uh, with everyone but like i was like wow and again like while we're in the renaissance of brenda frazier it's like this idea that's where he went away for a little bit it was just mm -hmm. because he also had like a very similar incident and i'm really happy that more and more people are coming forward but it's just it's it's sad <laughs> to hear how many people have had this well incident. yeah and you know one of the things he talks about on his podcast which i i highly recommend everybody listen to um brotherly love the one he does with uh, joey and andy he talks about how, you know, there's kind of this double standard where it feels like people are more ready to have the conversation about Me Too incidences happening to women than they are to men. And even when someone like Terry Crews comes out and says this happened to me, that because he represents masculinity, it just creates a, a discomfort that people aren't ready to engage in. And I just thought that was a really interesting approach. Um, and, you know, I, in general, whether it be man or a woman, I wonder how many brilliant actors never made it because they were brave enough to just stand up for themselves. Absolutely. That's such a good, so well said. Okay, in a very sharp shift of conversations, uh, we have a little, a few morning announcements. Uh, oh, 
Yeah. Uh, first of all, before we dive into the episode, I want to make sure give a shout out to all of our listeners who have been sending us emails and recordings, um, commenting on our YouTube and Instagram and all over the place. You guys have been like fantastic, especially lately. Uh, and we have a feeling that we'll be hearing a lot more from you <laughs> in the future. Uh, but that's great because we love hearing from you. And uh, we want you to share your thoughts with us and make sure you send us emails and questions at brothersworld at gmail.com. Uh, record a voice message and send it to us on our website. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Uh, later on in this episode, we actually have an interview from one of our listeners um, who is a social worker about uh, the previous episode, Can I Help to Cheer You, um, about the Tommy and Eric storyline. Um, Which I think actually kind of plays a role in this storyline as well in a, an interesting way that we'll get into. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to talk about this episode, but I definitely want our listeners to kind of stick around for that interview because I think it's going to be great. Like, Absolutely. Fantastic is this? Uh, so yeah, you guys stick around. We have an interview. Uh, she's a social worker, cosplay enthusiast, and a Boy Meets World fan, so make sure um, that you listen to that. And then finally, uh, we have a special request for all of our listeners. We're on a mission to reach 1,000 YouTube subscribers. Uh, help us out by hey, subscribing yo. to our channel and sharing with your friends. Um, that's, that's right. You know, I've uh, encountered a few Brummeets World fans out in the wild recently, and some <laughs> of, and, and a few of them were interested. They were like, "I recognize your voice and not your face, guys." We have video <laughs> episodes all on YouTube and especially on Spotify. You guys can catch video episodes of all of our recordings. So yeah, go ahead and subscribe, and you guys can watch us engage in these ridiculous conversations yeah get to know our faces we have good faces, mm. good faces. yeah we serve face we <laughs> serve <laughs> hey uh let's get into this episode are you ready uh i'm i'm buzzing with excitement uh you know what i i'm here for it i'm, I'm here for it go ahead and give me the telephone oh my gosh <clears throat> tell us about it the dean's ex returns so the boys vandalize everything that he owns so that Feeney can be the only one that she bones. Yes, yes. Feeney getting the That's booty. Right. <laughs> Vandalism <laughs> equals booty, guys. <laughs> this is the season six, episode 19, Be True. The series returns to its form as Corey and Sean unite for the last time as a bad boy team to help Mr. Feeney, who's Hesitation in declaring his feelings for Dean Bolander looks like a fatal mistake when her ex, Curtis, returns from an expedition bent on winning her back. John and Corey trash Curtis's lab and blame it on a jealous rage by Feeney, who then saves Dean Bolander's life for real and wins her heart by swiping away a rare bee that Curtis brought back just before his thing started. He explains that she was not taken in for a moment by the boy's ruse, just impressed that Feeney's students care so much about him. In a B storyline, Rachel challenges Jack to take her out on a real date. The only problem is Jack is embarrassed that Rachel is so much taller than he is. Yeah. <laughs> that's this episode. <laughs> that is, that's it. That's it. Uh, okay, so... Go ahead and give me your first impressions. I'm going to start hey, with uh, I just want to ask you a quick question. In that description, it said uh, Corey and Sean team up for one last. That's what it says. 
that is not correct. This is not oh, the last again, time. Again, we know that I get mine from Wikipedia, which I will say, the longer we go, the more that has been a mistake. Because this, as you, we got like a paragraph over the uh, intro, and it was so so convoluted which much like this episode but i was like is this necessary can we like bring you know what i'm gonna have chat gpt give me a new one a better one a shorter one that's that's me that's my future you know okay in terms of just starting about this episode our first thoughts yeah i went into this thinking this was gonna be the worst episode of boy meets world i ever saw i went into this thinking that i i don't know i remember just really hating this episode pretty passionately as a kid and I think part of that was just this idea that it was an adult storyline and I was probably caught up more with just the the adventures of the kids however um re-watching it it's still pretty terrible but it's not as bad as I thought it was so I'll just I'll just leave it at that there was things about it that I was able to enjoy things about um Eric's character that I was able to read through things about Jack and Rachel's storyline that I thought were interesting nuggets um yes so there's a there's a few you know bits in this episode that I think are, are worth noting but overall I think it's hot garbage what about you um <laughs> that was such a setup to ultimately just call it garbage uh I'm not gonna lie I I thought it was funny I had fun. Ooh. I thought like it, it's stupid funny, but it's funny. There are moments where I'm like, you're more stupid than you are funny, but there are also moments where I was like, this is more funny than it is stupid. And that's how I feel about it. Also, I will say right off the bat, in our A storyline, which I'm calling Feeny and the Dean, um that can't it, be the it, A storyline. It has that is, to be the that B storyline. <laughs> that is the A storyline. The B storyline is the non-B storyline. Wow, this is <laughs> trying to keep up, guys. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just thought it was nice for Feeny to have a storyline. Um, Absolutely. I thought it was great, but I was like this entire episode. Everything about it felt rushed. I don't know what was going on in the writer's room. I don't know if this was like, I, it just felt like it could have taken another pass. Can, or can like I... they ran out of town. time. Go. Can I speculate out loud with you? Um, uh, yeah, they needed to jumpstart this relationship between Feeny and the Dean because we are I maybe mean, like, three out. We... Yeah, we're like three episodes away from the finale. We're getting into the sweeps week. We don't have like a wedding or anything building up to anything. Like, there's nothing building. What do you mean we don't have a wedding building up to anything? Well, we I mean, Corey and Topanga's have wedding. A wedding. <laughs> But they're not doing it. They're not doing it for the finale. Like, it's not even something that's being discussed. Like, hey, we have this date that's coming up. It just feels like it's further in the future. It just doesn't feel like there's anything, like, building up to a momentous season finale. And it felt like this was like, a, hey, guys, we have to course correct and, like, push this Feeney and the Dean relationship so that, like, if the hypothetically Feeney were to propose to the Dean by the end of the season, it's not awkward. Okay, so first of all, your spoiler alert, I will be charging you. It was for a hypothetical. It was a No, <laughs> speaking, um, no, I will not accept it. Number one. Number two is that is so ludicrous because here's the thing. You just said, <laughs> suddenly we have a wedding coming. They are engaged. Corey and Topanga are engaged and they absolutely should be working. Now, I will say this feels misplaced i feel like you could take this episode as is and move it with the exception of eric's whole rachel screen you can move it for closer in the season 
and it would make so much sense. You could actually or move it you could just remove after. it. You could just remove it from the season, and I mean, it would help everything could. make sense. <laughs> Absolutely, but I'm saying if you needed to keep it, you could move it directly after the Stuart episode, and again, it would make more sense. You know what? Just, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I did think it was very interesting that in this episode, Corey, when he's first approached by uh, Eric, which we're going to get into all of this, um, <laughs> I just <laughs> I, I just thought it was interesting that Corey brought up the fact that, hey, I'm on probation for punching a teacher. Like, that's continuality in a world where continuality is non-existent. So I give it flowers when it happens. Uh, all right. So I, I just want to talk. All right. We'll just kind of go through it a little bit like the story arc. First things first, I will say, Angela looks her so little bit. Good. She looks so good. I was like, she I was so hot in this outfit. episode. Loving yeah. the outfit, giving it to me. And then uh, when her and Serpina are talking to the dean, and the dean is like, I've been showing some leg. And Angela's like, okay. Like, I just, <laughs> she was like, damn. <laughs> I just, I, I love when um, intergenerational people have like, a fun little back and forth. And I wonder it it how, was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I wonder how fun this was for the cast themselves, knowing that the Dean and Feeney are married in real life and just kind of exactly. teasing and having that kind of fun where they get to be a little bit more playful. And, you know, one of the things that they've been saying on their podcast and, and you know, throughout all their interviews is that when Bonnie, who plays the Dean, when she came onto the cast, they said that it really brought Bill Daniels out of his shell more and that he was more playful and that he had a little bit more life to him. And you see that a lot reflected in this episode. So I just wanted to give her props for being able to bring something new out of Feeney. A little bit of roll call. Um, We have Bonnie Bartlett, um, who is uh, Will Daniels' real wife, uh, playing Uh, Dean Bolander, Francis X. McCarthy as Curtis Kincaid, uh, Sandra Gould as Little Old Lady, uh, Lillian Adams as Mrs. Furlong and Mildred Dumas as Mrs. Bertelson. I don't know. I don't know. They say it. Um, Did you recognize Curtis? Of... I didn't recognize Curtis. Who's Curtis? The the one who plays uh, the ex. Francis uh, McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, he had a face that looked really familiar, and I was like. I know this dude from something and I'm looking at his IMDb right now and he was just in like guest appearances on like a thousand different television shows. I thought maybe he had like a, he had, he just had one of those faces that looked familiar to me. I honestly, it felt like insert old white guy. Um, mm. And like no offense to Francis, but they had the girls like Topanga and Angela lusting over Curtis, and I was like, if you don't have me lusting, I'm gonna need like a sexier older man. I'm gonna need like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, he me... wasn't giving off those zaddy vibes at all, exactly. So, give me like say Dick Van Dyke, give me someone who, like, you know, Dick Van Dyke. Play. I'm learning more saying. about you. <laughs> I'm saying during his whole uh, what was it called, diagnosis murder. He was out there. Man. He was popping. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, going back to it. Uh, just want to say, uh, Will also hilarious this episode. Hilarious He's great. I re- yeah. And one of the things, like I said, that I thought tied back to last episode, which wasn't really kind of uh, super in your face, was this idea that like we we start the episode with Will. I mean, Eric. Um, I'm doing it again. Eric, just being like super hyper fixated on uh, Feeney and his relationship with the Dean. And it's like, oh, 
this dude just lost Tommy. He yep. is like, who can I connect with? Who in my life can I consistently go to? And even though there's this generational divide between him and Feeney, in this episode specifically, you almost see him pushing past some of the boundaries that were present in their relationship before. He's, you know, interrupting him in the middle of his class. He's talking about slapping cheeks with the dean. He's like, he, he he's, he's, he's playing with him and being familiar with him in ways that we haven't really seen. That kind of shows me that he's trying to have a, a more intimate connection with this, this person who's in his life that he's not able to get from anywhere else. Yeah, it's erratic behavior. And like, like he said, the moment it starts, I'm like, how much of this is Eric needing someone to have a happy ending and being like too many mm. people aren't taking initiatives. Like, like he sees Feeney not going after what he wants. And he's like, I've done that. And I know what that feeling looks like. And I don't want someone who I care about, AKA Feeney to go do the same thing. And so in, in a way he really pushes him um, before. I feel Feeney like. I feel like pushing Feeney only makes sense when the ex-husband arrives. Like, otherwise, I don't really see a, like, a reason why this is the conflict of this episode. But that's because they don't really write to it. I feel like if we would have gotten a line in, like, before Feeney shows up to the table with Eric, just give Eric a line of being like, look, I need to get them together. Or, like, Feeney watching the Dean and... I said Feeney, but Eric watching the Dean and Feeney have a conversation and kind of drop mixed signals and everything. Like the Dean is raising her ankle a little bit, but you know, yeah. like giving all the signals. Or maybe Eric overhears the Dean telling Topanga and Angela this stuff and is like, Feeney, you gotta step Which, your game. by the way, that makes not only does that make more sense because the scene where the Dean just walks in with Topanga and Angela, right? In what world? Like, Again, I'm like, what are we doing? Why are you having this conversation literally like five feet from this person? Yeah. Now, had they had that conversation before and they walk past and Eric hears them and then goes to Feeney, mm -hmm. now we at least have narrative sense. <laughs> totally. And also just like, I I understand why Eric wants to help Feeney. I have no idea why Angela and Topanga are having this conversation with the Dean, what relationship they have with the Dean. There could be a whole Feeney, Eric subplot happening with the Dean and the girls that we wouldn't even know about. And it just feels what like else? there's a connection there that we just aren't seeing on screen. What else are three educated women supposed to talk about if not a man? <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> Think about it. What else would they talk about at a college? Well, well, speaking of talking about men, I want to talk about Curtis for a second, the ex, because when he comes in, I first of all, I love how they're trying to play it off as like he's like this Indiana Jones like cool guy, but he gave off major colonizer energy to me. Oh, when absolutely. He was like, oh, I'm I'm not an archaeologist. I like to think of myself as an adventurer, a, a treasure hunter. Treasure hunter? Whose treasure are you hunting, Curtis? <laughs> oh, when we talk about the scene of the like in the indigenous stuff or like all the artifacts i i will i will get there but yeah no absolutely you mean that the I items he took from africa uh, well not just africa <laughs> several places uh sean is listening out all different regions and they're again we will get there you and you're moving ahead i'm pulling us back <laughs> well pull, to pull back to when he's first talking uh that scene where like angela and topanga are like fawning over the idea of him the stories that he's telling, um, 
Do you know Harry Potter? Yeah. Yes. If I said Gilderoy Lockhart, do you understand what I'm saying? 100%. I do want you to say it. Gilderoy Lockhart energy of just like, oh yeah, I was in Africa and I was doing this and I was doing that. And I'm just looking at this dude and I'm like, were you though? Were you? It just all just felt so boasty. It all just felt so self-serving. And then for him to go on the sidelines and then start talking shit about Beanie afterwards, I was like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Like, if you're this big dude, why are you insecure all of a sudden now that he's talking about books? Like, it just, I didn't see any reason why Curtis, if he uh, was this dude, felt intimidated by Feeney at all to to mess with him or or talk shit. I completely agree with you. I was like, uh, let's just take a note from Jurassic Park uh, with Sir Alan Grant, who actually Mm. went to an island with some dinosaurs. He don't even go around and be talking like this. And he was with dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So Curtis, what could you possibly be doing that makes you like just come in and be this boastful? And like just be telling stories with no, no slides, yeah. no visual evidence. These are just storytelling. And if anything, I want to check the credentials of this college. Because y'all just have a guest speaker coming in. Again, no visuals, no notes, no verification, just his stories. <laughs> What I thought was very strange was their decision to say, hey, I'm also her ex-husband and I'm here to win her back. And I'm just like, whoa, having him be the ex-husband versus like an ex-boyfriend or even like an ex-fiance, it just complicates things so much more because now it's like, well, clearly that didn't work out for a reason. So what's the backstory there? And like, how does that play into what's happening? Maybe it was, he was this show Bodhi talkful, like boastful person in the, the relationship. And part of the reason why she likes Feeney is because he has this like modesty, like work it in somehow. Thank you. I was actually kind of thinking they would do that because when Feeney gets up and he's starting to teach his own class um, and Curtis is like, books? Who reads books anymore? Who cares what a book says? I'm like, okay, Archie, or like adventurer, treasure hunter, or whatever. I feel like you should be reading some books, just if you're going to be out there doing it, number one. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two is the dean kind of gives him this look where I, again, I thought that they were going to at least mention that she likes the fact that George is an intellectual who cares about yeah. books. And that's what they have in common. Um, but they didn't do it. So nope. I don't know. What, what, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> I, I, something I, about there is... Curtis. Oh, good. Right. Something about Curtis and everyone in this episode. The hair is herring. Like, oh, because yeah, of yeah. the pod, I am now on Hair Watch. And the hair in this episode. Oh, magnifique. Everyone. Siege. If Michael Jacobs' name's on it, the hair is herring, okay? <laughs> the hair is gonna hair. <laughs> you know that, all of that, that John Mulaney joke where he's like, uh, uh, middle schoolers uh, make fun of you accurately, and they'll just point at him and be like, look at that uh, high-waisted man. He has feminine hips. Like, I feel like <laughs> Michael Jacobs has this thing about hair where it's just like such a deep insecurity for him that like, it's the thing that he has, like, n- no, the hair needs to hair in order for this to happen and it comes through every time a lot of good hair he just i think he cast with hair first but they're like we have someone with a role for you he's like let me see their hair <laughs> i feel like that's just that that was a, a relic of the 80s uh, hair first casting i mean look at swayze not to just you know say I anything mean, bad about swayze but that hair alone could get you a gig hair alone hair alone okay uh you were gonna say 
Oh, I was just going to say that it's really interesting that there's almost this Hamilton and Burr thing happening between Feeney and uh, uh, Curtis. This like, oh, do I wait for it versus I'm not going to throw away my shot. And I love that Feeney is being challenged on this idea of like what old fashioned romance is versus like, even though she's an older woman, she's a modern older day woman. And she's like, he needs to pick up the pace and he needs to like show me like something real and i just thought that was a really interesting fun conversation and again according to like the cast there's a little bit of that mirrored in their real life dynamic you know mm -hmm. will tries to be uh a little bit more reserved bonnie uh brings him out of a shell and she's just a little bit like yeah like let's do this let's we're young we moving so yeah, <laughs> i just wanted, I wanted to get that what did you think about this Godfather bit they tried to insert? I felt like you probably enjoyed that a lot more than I did. I, I don't know. I had so much fun with it. Here's the thing, again, because it was stupid. Like, so the Godfather scene is funny stupid. And the brain in a jar scene is stupid stupid. And gotcha. I had fun with this one because I was like... I know what we were doing. The idea of Corey and uh, Sean being like, we're legit now. We don't, do like, yeah. everyone just speaking. <laughs> we're in the, the baking company now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say, I felt that Ben did the best with that bit. He, like, had this, like, kind of New York y kind of accent that he kind of unintentionally maybe stayed with the entire episode. I don't know. I kind of heard bits of it but i just thought that he did the best in that little dynamic of the three that scene i wrote it down when he goes i come to you hat in hand it's my hat it's my it's hand, my hand. I, I, <laughs> it was like yes i'm here for it loving it on this the day of our bake sale you're right like that entire scene and there's like there's a moment where sean is even funny in that one. Oh, sean i remembered it sean goes I like being out. I like not looking over my shoulder every five minutes. And he looks over and he looks at the guy who's walking by him. And he just gives him this look, like watching you. Watching you. And I again it was it was really fun acting. Sean playfully kind of throws out there that the trailer may have been hit by a train. Don't know if that's canon or not, but let's just see if there's any more mention of this trailer in the future. Again, it I don't know how to explain it other than this scene, this particular scene, was stupid funny. And you know what? I, I agree with you that, like, up until this point, it's stupid, but I'm still having, like, fun with the episode a little bit. It's not until they get into, like, Curtis's office where the episode yeah. just feels like it just takes a, a complete left turn. Completely agree with you because, like, the brain in the jar, they, it's just, like, we enter... Sitcom, like child sitcom stupid in the sense that it's like oh we're going to use ancient artifacts that are irreplaceable uh and just like try to bust things open because we don't have to respect other cultures because we're doing a bit and as long as you're doing a bit <laughs> respecting culture is out of the window um, and then I just don't think it makes sense for their characters. Like the the whole thing was that Corey's like, "Hey, I'm on probation. I'm I need to be smarter." And then Sean's like, "Hey, I've been around the block. I, you know, I've seen some things. I need to be smarter." And then instead of them being like more clever with how they do it, they do something that you're watching them and you're just like, 
Oh, so you guys are just breaking the law. You're just vandal. Yeah. Like it's vandalism. Yeah. You're just breaking shit. And like, it just doesn't feel clever. It doesn't feel smart. It feels like as they're doing it, you're like, oh, you guys should be suspended. Like Curtis should sue you and you guys should like, like, like it just, it should escalate the situation more than it did. And this well, was one of those like white privilege. I don't know what's going on moments where I'm just like, oh, they should go to jail. <laughs> like what's happening? They're adults. Like arrest them. <laughs> like what's happening? Yeah, well, the episode it like explains that's not just Curtis's office. Those aren't just his artifacts. That's the schools. Like, there's so many things in there that aren't just Curtis's, and it's ridiculous that they would do all of this. And it's it's a childish prank. Like, I I'm with you. I want a ruse. I want a planning. I want there to be more thought put into this. You know that um, there's a great moment um, where uh, I think it's maybe I don't remember the exact episode. I think it might be season four or five. Um, but Topanga and, and Corey are like fighting. They're having issues. And then Amy and Alan stage a fight. And right in front, it's season five. It's that episode where Sean, they're like, they get back together and Sean doesn't know. They stage a fight right in front of Corey and Topanga and watch them get back together. And as they're going up, Amy looks down at Sean and she winks. And you realize that this was all a ruse constructed by Sean to master manipulate. That is clever. That is interesting. That's the kind of like brain power I want to see used in an episode like this. Yeah. When they, speaking of brain, when they go into the jar, and speaking of all, just the idea of it's the first human brain i'm like okay now like we're so stupid we're caveman stupid like that's yeah. what and and actually i apologize to caveman out there uh nope. <laughs> because as if geico has taught me anything i want a stereotype but yeah. uh, <laughs> they go in and they grab the brain and it's also like clearly not a real brain it's a prop and again, it's a sitcom and all this other stuff, but it's like, don't blame me for critiquing the prop of the brain. Blame them for just being so stupid that we're supposed to believe this is a real brain or some kind of ancient brain, but also it can just break in half. Like, and like just in half. <laughs> but I mean, line, I, I, line, oh, go do ahead, you go. want personality or motor skills? hilarious i will give that's, that. that's a great line that's a great line i just love that they have this conversation where Corey thinks that opening the jar to get the brain will get him laid somehow like i love that that's the motivation it just felt very beavis and butthead this whole yes. like oh dude open the brain we'll get laid yeah you'll score yeah let's open it's just like what is happening again child like it I, I don't it was immature comedy and i didn't enjoy it i loved the uh so there's a scene right after like right in between the the curtis office scene where we're in Feeney's class and Eric is interrupting him and Eric's basically like, we all know that you you love the Dean, all that stuff. But what I really love about that is this: there's this really funny scene where he goes, uh, you're in a triangle, Feeney, and he draws a square with his hands. Yes. Hilarious. This is what I was talking about when I said Will is hilarious in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I was like, the ability to draw a square while saying triangle and like, remember, I was like, that is comedic genius, but it's also just like, that's hard to do, to do one thing with your body, but say another thing. Out of, like, it's just, it's so simple, but it's I really wonder if it hard. was in the script or if that was just Will. I just, like, again, I, from what I'm hearing, I can imagine it's Will, but, like, that is, it's so brilliant. And it's a it's a really funny bit. Um, but if we're going to talk about the high of that scene, we got to talk about the low of that scene, which is right after um, 
Eric says to Feeney, I don't, basically, I don't want you to wait like I waited because I had that happen to me. And then he screams Rachel in the way that it's hilarious. But then the scene ends with him just crying. And it was like, no, it's played for laughs, but this is what we were talking about. This is that tragedy of a clown that the show has just like brought in from this. Totally. Because what's happening that no one is really paying attention to is that the reason he's so invested in Tafini is because he's just trying to like fill this void. Like he he's sleeping on his parents' couch still. Like he just lost Tommy. He is completely isolated and alone. And here's Feeney. He's like, oh, okay, well, Feeney will be my butt. I'll help Feeney. I'm going to invest everything I can into this because this is where I can be of use. This kid is just trying to be of use, improve his worth, and show like who he is inside. He's just a kid who needs a hug. Like, I feel so bad for him. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, ultimately, I was like, there's so much going on in this scene that I feel like Eric is playing to, or Will is playing to. Like, I feel like he's thinking of, like, the arc that his character is going on. Yeah. Whether it's the editing, whether it's the storytelling, like, no one else is really understanding the situation or sure. the the season arc that Eric has been in so far. Um, so, anyway, uh, going back into the idiotic ruse, um, first of all, when they let out the B, I was like, the B is way more important than I understand but I, I i get that and why is this bee in this jar with a brain again like it doesn't make sense there's no real explanation for all of this um the throwing of the brain and it's like covered in goo and uh, again I, I didn't know what we were doing the only you could cut to... there's here's the thing the brain is not relevant to the story at all the amount of time we spend on them hot potatoing a brain back and forth that's not even the discovery it's not the thing you can remove the brain from the whole episode and it wouldn't change a thing what are we doing why are so much time being dedicated to this absolutely um for me what i wanted to talk about was when the gig is up and the dean comes in and feeny comes in and they're like feeny did it nonsense 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 when they go well Feeney did it as an act of love. And she's like, is that true? And I'm like, no, 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 no. no. You're not going to tell me that this woman thinks that an act of love in which you are so jealous, you destroy everything that my ex-husband has brought back from an expedition uh, is romantic. I, I won't buy that. I, I, I have to believe that she <laughs> knew what was happening in the moment and it was in that moment that she realized, wow, these kids really care about George, and she just went along with it, I have to believe that that's the case because no, there's no, 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 okay. no woman Even if you go say, along with it, even if you go along with it, what are you saying? Again, even if that's the case, what, what you're communicating by being like, oh no, if that was the case, it's fine. You are saying, I find moments of outrage quite sexy. Thank you, sir, for expressing sure. your feelings in such a way where it's obvious enough that you would destroy property. Like, yeah. no, that's like, and then also it kind of shows what they think a romantic gesture totally. is. Totally. 
I, again, it's like it's one of those things where this was a classic example of the 90s showing us a red flag and painting it as green. It's just yes. like, oh, so this guy is capable of just going fucking berserk in his like 70s? No way, dude. What is happening? <laughs> he's an educator. He doesn't need to be around kids. If this is what exactly. he's capable of, really? If this is what you're capable of. Thank you. That's my point. That's that's I just wanted to do that. I, the the actual romantic gesture, to be fair to the show, is when the bee is let out. Which oh, again, I'm sorry, is- I'm sorry. Can we pause before the whole bee thing comes into play? Because I have to say this. The only way this show was able to make this storyline redeemable is in the last moment it made Curtis into the biggest asshole they could. They had no, to make him someone the last who moment. didn't care. Well, well, no, but it, re- it really came through at that last moment because in the beginning, he's like, I want to win you back. I want to win you back. And then at the end, he's just like, dude, I don't care about any of that. All I care about is the B. All I care about is the B to the point where her life almost becomes in jeopardy. And he doesn't he doesn't even care about her. So I'm just saying that like they had to make him into such an ultra villain because if a normal human being had been like, I've been working for this, this could save the lives of millions. You destroyed this an adult, you're a 70-year-old man. You came in here and wrecked all my stuff for a woman. I'm like, that just doesn't compute for me. I can't make sense of that. Well, again, it's ludicrous on so many levels because a few things. One what I was going to say is the bee, which is a bee that was let outside has now flown back in just because a bee, which has the entire world to explore was like, actually I'll go all the way back because they clearly need me. Well, um, bees are attracted to the smell of brains. Everyone knows that. <laughs> so there's that. Then you have the fact that this man allows this rare bee to like just sit on it wouldn't he have some kind of technique of getting the bee overall thank you thank you okay i'm so glad you brought this up because this drove me crazy he he kept this bee in like a jar on the desk and i'm like if this is the discovery that you claim it to be if this is the thing that's going (laughs) to save the lives of millions bruh like, where are you storing this thing? When I watch, like, Planet of the Apes, and they're working on these apes that can cure Alzheimer's, they have them locked up in the lab, they're, like, secure, there's scientists with just, like, gloves on. There's nothing. None yeah, of that exactly. is going on here. But you know, this That's... college doesn't have a science lab. Like, God, why did you threw this bee in the, in the storage closet? Like, what is happening? I this know. is what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is why I said I want to see Pembroke's credentials. I don't believe it. Number one, they let Eric in. Number two, oh. like, <laughs> number two, this oh idea that they would just let this once in a lifetime, once in a generation, fine, just be left in a closet unattended. It's crazy. And then this, again, I want to remind everyone, grown man, adventurer, smart enough to know that this is a rare bee. Literally grabs the bee that Feeny slaps later and then goes, where's the anthropology department? For what? What do you expect them to do? To resuscitate the bee. bee. (laughs) What do you think? Like, what do you think is going to happen from the slapped bee? At this Reconstructive point. surgery, obviously. (laughs) Like, that's the only good. Like, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. 
all ludicrous. All ludicrous. I, I love um, too that like it, like he has this bee that's supposed to save the lives of millions where you're just like, oh, so basically Corey and Sean are responsible for millions of people dying. But again, you have to make him more of a villain. He doesn't care about saving the lives of millions of people. He cares about getting rich. He cares about that bag, baby. And as long as he cares about money, he's irredeemable and it doesn't matter what wrong was done to this man. But he doesn't even care about money because you brought one B. <laughs> one B yeah, you don't got more. You don't got a backup B. <laughs> you don't got a backup B. Just the one. At least get a backup B. Get a, get a get a hive. Get some, like what are you doing? We have to move on. We have to move on. We have to. We B, to. B storyline. That's the non B storyline. We just Jack talked about the B storyline. <laughs> I'm moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Jack, and, we open up on Jack and Rachel making out again, and this idea of I watched it. I don't know about you. I watched it in this idea of Jack is still in mourning. Like yeah. if you watch it with the idea of like Jack is still in mourning, Jack is still in denial, and like th- even why again like Rachel's just like this is all we do. He's like yeah, we should be doing more of it. Don't make me think. Let's just keep doing this. That's yes. how I saw. It. I read it the same way. It was so clear that like their relationship had just been this kind of physical, like this immediate, just like, oh, I just need to feel good right now kind of thing. But you can only do that for so long. And clearly Rachel's thinking like, all right, well, we've been making out nonstop for like eight days. Do you want to go outside? Do you want to get some air? Do you want to like do something in public with me? Like, it was so interesting that she was ready to be like, oh, we're going to have a relationship now. And Jack was just like, oh, we're going to have sex now. Like he thought that was the next step was sex. And she's like, no, I'm talking about like us actually being a relationship. I just thought that was interesting. Actually having conversations, actually going outside and being seen by other people. Yeah. Uh, But again, I want to say this storyline again, feels very rushed because we get like what maybe five minutes of the storyline if that and i actually think there's something here about definitely insecurities that you have when you are in a new relationship in general but men being like the fact that later on when they're ready for their date jack comes out with platform shoes i was like a number one first and foremost rachel looks amazing that's right absolutely oh my god she oh looked my great. God. Fun. And honestly, <laughs> I thought I thought Matthew Lawrence pulled off the platform shoes. If I'm being honest, I thought he looked great. I too. mean, today that's fashion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he looks good and it just it all works. But like the idea of them of Rachel being like, oh, this is something I encounter all the time. Men think that I'm too tall. Great storyline. Let's talk about that. Jack yeah. being like, actually, I didn't I wasn't even thinking that they would talk about you i thought that they would talk about me and i'm actually insecure about my height which by the way i checked matthew lawrence is five seven so (laughs) i was like why would he be insecure about this um i understand that for a lot of men under five it is a very subject. so i i can see this being a worthwhile storyline but it makes me think again is it a worthwhile storyline because someone saw this and was like, hey, this is something that a couple would actually encounter? Or was it just another one of those things where the writers were like, that's funny. Let's write and make them feel insecure about that. You know what I'm um, saying? 
Yeah, totally. I have a. I, I want to talk about this so much. I uh, I just want to quickly say this. We posted a picture the other day, and someone asked that you do a height reveal. So can we just quickly just pause, and can you tell people how tall you are? Because this keeps happening. If you notice, on our Instagram, we have pictures, and, like, Siege kind of always towers over everyone. So as a, another beanpole, another tall person, how tall are you, and how, like, insecure has this made you? Uh, I am 6'4", so thank you for putting me on the spot. Yeah, sure, and, sure. Um, it, I'll say this. It, it, I don't have as much insecurity about it because being taller is seen as an advantage. However, I will say that I do have insecurities about it or I think about it. Even before um, we went and took photos recently, I was so mindful about what I was wearing because I was like, I'm going to have to bend down and I need to make sure that like whatever I'm doing, I'm just like, I look good and I'm not like, exposing my body in a way that i don't want to sure. or like anything else because yeah it's just it's commonplace but it's also funny because it's only in photos that i remember how tall i am totally on any other time like day to day it's like i would say that i'm eye to eye with someone who's jack's height because totally. to me like i'm so used to looking down that i'm like oh yeah as long as we're making eye contact we are eye to eye but when I look at a photo, I'm like, God damn it, I'm tall. <laughs> so this is very interesting. You're very tall. I am shorter. I am 5'8". Like, I am closer to Matthew Lawrence's height. And I have to say that you're right. The way that, sh like, short kings are treated, and it's, it's very interesting because it, it's the one thing that people feel comfortable kind of openly like making a statement about like girls will be like, especially like on dating apps, they'll like no one under six feet, like all that stuff. So th there is this almost this thing of just like this perception that men are supposed to be tall, but it feels like that same, like it comes from that same mindset of like, oh, a woman is supposed to be very thin and have a, a skinny waist. And it just feels like we've matured past that for women. And it doesn't feel like the expectations for men's physicality have really matured past those preconceived ideas of what a man should be. And I just think I that's disagree. really interesting. Because in the, in the Sex Lives of College Girls, the HBO series, there's a whole episode dedicated to short kings. It's like, oh, well, I haven't seen a short it. king. No. Yeah, well, because... yeah, that concept of a short king is something that now in like 2023 is like a conversation that's happening. But I can tell you that like prior to 2015, there there was no short king talk. But I just thought it was interesting. And especially when you're with a woman, uh, our partner, in any case, uh, well, yeah, I'll say woman because it is kind of a gendered thing. Um, you know, when I've been with women who have worn high heels of a certain height, you do kind of feel like, oh, I, I, I'm going to stand a little bit taller. I'm going to wear shoes that make me feel a little bit taller. You just want to feel like you you can be eye to eye. And so I just, I understood where Jack was coming from because there is such a public perception of it. Um, I agree, but I'll say this. First of all, I think it is notable that the people who say something are all older women. And i.e., they are out, outdated ways of thinking. Mm. Uh, this was a very, it was interesting. This is a very... 60 plus heavy episode. Sure, sure. And we don't get very often. But again, with Feeney, the old ladies, their way of thinking is outdated. There's nothing yeah. wrong with Jack being shorter than Rachel. And I think I just wanted to point that out. That's what I'm going to call out. Totally. And I'm, I'm, I think that's the lesson. Well, I also <laughs> think that this excuse of you know, not wanting to be seen because of height might be something that's true to Jackson securities. But I also think it's this 
hyperfixation on this relationship and all of the different elements of it. He's overthinking so he doesn't have to face what's really bothering him or the like be in that silence of what's really you know going on inside. So I completely agree. Uh, let's kind of wrap this up so we can get to sure, it. sure. Um, all right, for a moment, what moment do you have? Um, okay, so my Brett moment is uh, the boys committing vandalism <laughs> and the idea that that would be a romantic gesture to destroy, you know, Thank you. the romantic gesture part of it. I mean, absolutely, the in, uh, destroying of ancient artifacts is right up there, uh, but also this idea that it would be a romantic gesture to do so um i just yeah that's that's my mm -hmm. moment what is the feeding lesson nothing gets a woman hornier than a brain bro nothing a slippery brain Whew. i i don't know what to walk away with from this episode i don't know what the lesson is supposed to be you tell me what, what's your feeny lesson you know I was so fixated on asking yours. I I I can't even pretend like I have a video lesson for this episode. Eric says at one point, he who hesitates is is lost, or he there who hesitates go. loses. So I think that's what we're supposed to walk away with. But the real thing of it is, is that if you want the best for someone, you should commit crimes and blame it on them. <laughs> well, like it's interesting because usually, usually we're able to like tie a thread together, like with the A storyline and the B storyline or the non-BB storyline. And it's, this is just, it was chaotic. I don't know, the the theme- Well, I think that the overarching theme, which the, is pointed to us by the title, is that, you know, Jack just needs to be true to himself. And be true, be, you know what? It took some talking, we got there. Be true <laughs> to you. That be is true the to you. lesson. That is not- the finny lesson that we get, but that is the finny lesson that kind of ties it all together. Okay, what grade are you giving this? I'm giving this episode a D plus. I was gonna give it a C. Uh, I, I'm not gonna lie, I'm being very generous, but I, I just was like, when I thought about it, I was like, I'll give it a C. And this I, episode and I is- do not fault you for your yeah. D plus, not one. It's bit. entertaining enough, but it's just the idea that this episode just didn't need to happen. Like I, you can skip this episode and nothing really will change. I thought the Dean and Feeney were dating. So I didn't know that there was this pressure for him to make a move until this episode came. Like if he were to propose to her in the next episode and be like, yeah, sure. You guys have been dating for a while, right? I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Like again, it just felt so rushed. It felt like, I don't know. I felt like, again, I was, when it first started, I was like, oh, this is a problem. We have some tension. Feeney's been waiting too long. I feel like the show waited too long to bring it up. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and again, had we just gotten a scene in the beginning, or again, if let's do some editing and just move the conversation with Angela and Topanga earlier and then have um, Eric talking to Feeney, yeah, it makes so much more sense um so yeah. I, no most of the time we sit here and we're like oh if the show had just done this it would have made sense if it had just done this it would have made sense this episode is kind of pointless and that's the more only reason yeah <laughs> just sense. like make it more relevant i think it's not even about a sense thing it's just like make us care about this by making the focus curtis and this bee and this brain we see no development happening between the dean and feeney and i would have much rather had just seen them go on a date and have like it just be this conversation where Feeney feels like he has to act a certain way and she kind of like settles to them and we just see them have chemistry together. I would have much rather preferred that than this whole 
brain hot potato thing that happened. You're right. They kind of took a shortcut by making it Beanie anyway, because because the audience cares about Beanie. Yeah. You are happy with like the happy ending that he gets, like when she kisses his hand a little bit later. And it's like, oh, this is sweet. But it's like, it's not really sweet because you earned it. It's mm-hmm. sweet because we love Bill Daniels and seeing him be happy makes us happy. It's like watching your grandpa get married again. You're just like, oh, like it's just, that's, that's all it is. Like the actual romance of their story, I've yet to see. So that's a really good point. Like, again, and also, it's a little bit of a, I don't know what you have in common other than you're old. That's it. <laughs> Not wanting to uh, die alone is enough of a reason to get together, I guess. Oh, that's really dark. <laughs> they love each other. They love each other, I'm sure. We just right. don't know why. Uh, well, that that's the episode. Let's, uh, let's move on. Now we're going to move on to our interview, uh, again, with a super fan of Bro Meets World and Boy Meets World. Um, she is a social worker who does cosplay and listens, uh, and she's going to talk to us about last week's episode. Um, so, everyone, welcome Sailor Ignite, aka Amber. Yay! Hey! Hi! We're so happy to have you on. I am so excited. I heard that y'all were talking about social work things and I was just like firing up my mind and I was like, ooh, I'm going to have to tell them the things I know. Please, yes. You know, this storyline between Tommy and Eric is one that I think a lot of fans have really uh, kind of the sentimental memories towards. But as we were watching it, we really kind of saw that there were things about their dynamic that we were like, is this healthy for Tommy? Is this healthy for Eric? So to have you kind of on here to kind of help us shed light on like what, about this relationship we should kind of take away with I I, it would be helpful for us I think yeah I think that there's a lot of difference between like what is best practice and what might have actually happened and then also just like tv drama sure absolutely really quickly Amber tell us what's your history with Boy Meets World I watched it when it was in syndication um mainly on the Disney channel um I'm 27 so I wasn't really like (laughs) I wasn't really watching it when it was airing um but then when I got older I think maybe I was in middle school every morning when I woke up ABC was playing at least two episodes and they were playing them in order so I got to watch most of it I think that pretty much the only season I don't really have like solid memories of is season three but I'm watching it now but yeah every morning it was boy (laughs) I love how you accidentally, but also intentionally called us old. Um, oh, but- yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My bad. When you were, no, no, it's fine. I watched it when it was live. And then when you were watching it, I think you said in middle school, I was like uh, in New York doing the same thing every morning in my first job. But you know, different strokes for different folks. The fact is that you got here. Yeah. Um, when you first saw it, like, how did you feel about this episode when you first saw it? Yeah, when I first saw it, obviously it was before I started um, social work stuff, but I thought it was like really cute that Eric had built this like brother relationship with Tommy. Um, I thought it would be really good for Tommy to have somebody because a lot of times, you know, when you're in foster care, you have, you don't really have like an adult role model aside from like the workers and you don't really have somebody who's consistent. So I thought it was really cute, Um, but obviously watching it now as an adult, I'm like, "Mm, we need some boundaries here. So this is interesting because, so you work in social work, how often do these like big brother type of relationships happen? And is is there any like, um, you know, best practices in a relationship like this? 
Yeah. So essentially, I used to work um, in Tennessee. We call it DCS, Department of Children's Services. Um, and when I got my undergrad, that's what I was like studying specifically in social work for to become a social worker for that department. And so I, when I actually started, I was actually in child protective services, but I, we still work adjacent with foster care. Um, and now currently a lot of those like independent relationships would not really be happening in foster care. Um, and that's more just because of like, we know that these are children who are at risk and a lot of harm can come to them. So them just hanging out with this adult alone is not something that would be the safest thing for them. Um, but as far as them building like relationships and connections, they'll uh, if they're in a group home or an orphanage, kind of like what Tommy is, they'll be building relationships with those kids who are there. It seemed like Tommy's was one that had that catered more to littler kids. So if he was one of the older ones, then he'd be one of like those older kids who's kind of mentoring and helping out with those younger kids. And that's usually what the relationship is. But even with that, there's just you're coming in with a lot of kids with a lot of like different traumas and a lot of different stories. And sometimes um, kids may be offending on one another. They sometimes, they call it telling their story on somebody instead of calling children offenders sometimes. So they'll be telling their stories on other kids and they're like certain protocols that have to be in place to make sure that these kids are not hurting each other. So there's not always a lot of like alone time now. Now, before the nineties, who knows what was going on? <laughs> in Tennessee, there was a huge lawsuit called Brian A. Um, it's the Brian A lawsuit, Brian A versus Haslam. And it started in, two, in like the year 2000. And there was a little kid who wasn't, I think he was nine years old in Memphis, who wasn't receiving any mental health care. He wasn't going to school, um, just wasn't getting the necessary things to succeed in life for an extended amount of time because he didn't have a caregiver and he didn't have like a permanent housing situation. So when that lawsuit happened, um, Tennessee specifically had to revamp their foster care system. And one of those things that they made sure was that if children are being placed out of the home, that they look for family placements first. And that is something that also they try to keep them if they can't do family placements then they try to keep them like in at least that same community so they wouldn't be taking a kid all the way from Tennessee all the way across the country yeah um, yeah <laughs> yeah and, but there are also like other things that go along with that like making sure that case managers have lower case loads um, so that they can actually have time to fully investigate what's going on with these kids and make sure that they are actually safe and make sure these foster homes are safe placements um, increasing the number of foster homes that are available so that kids are not at, um, sitting around in like office buildings or things for a long time. Yeah. And is it better now than it was in the 90s? Yes. Is it perfect? No. <laughs> uh, perfectly said. Uh, I, I want to ask, what made you interested in social work? Like, how did, how did you get involved in, in general? Yeah, so my grandma was actually like really um, was an advocate and was like really involved in her community. She sued HUD and they like had to settle that course uh, case out of court. She worked with Planned Parenthood. She um, made sure that bus routes came into her neighborhood. She was really like, a, okay, um, yeah, Come she on. had a street dedication <laughs> to herself. She um, like, you know, they called her the champion for the poor and things like that. So uh, part of it is like genetics, but also like yeah. my mom really instilled that in me. She was one of the people, she's also, I'm from Memphis. So like a lot of civil rights things were going on um, when she was growing up and those things, those um, 
morals were really instilled in me of like making sure that you're involved, making sure you're helping people, making sure that we're doing the best for the most people as possible. So um, I saw social work as a way that while it's not a perfect system, that it was at least a way for me to get involved and help people and support people and not necessarily give a voice to people who are there's not like people always have voices but more to just give people the resources that they need to best support themselves sure america does sure. not deserve black women it just really doesn't <laughs> like like your, your, your grandma is involved in like helping everybody out you over here being a social worker because you love it and i'm just Ain't like this truth. country don't deserve y'all <laughs> oh, Ain't it the truth hey yeah. uh, okay so i'm curious if I or any one of our listeners were like, hey, you know, I'm really touched by the Tommy storyline. Like, I want to, um, you know, contribute in a way that would actually be healthy. Is there an avenue that people can take to assist with children like Tommy without it crossing boundaries or getting into a, an unhealthy place? Yeah, so one way is Big Brothers Big Sisters. They are really good about making sure that there are healthy matches uh, between adults and children. And specifically the one in Tennessee, in Middle Tennessee has a bunch of different programs. So you can do online if you can't commit to like meeting with a kid mm. in person, but they also have some spaces that are specific for LGBTQ youth. Um, they have spaces where if you can only commit to doing it during the school year, you can go to the school and visit the littles. So Boys and Girls Club is definitely one that I think of. Um, you can also volunteer at um, like, um, what are they called? I don't want to call them correctional facilities, but they're, they're like residential homes for um, children who are in the foster care system. You can volunteer at places like that, and that's a way to build relationships with them. Um, the Boys and Girls Club, those across America, there are going to be a lot of children who may not necessarily always be in foster care, but they also may be at risk or living in poverty sure. and being able to get involved with children in healthy ways that way. Um, they're always, and there's almost always, if you look up volunteer opportunities with children, um, there's almost always something that you can be a part of, whether it's something that um, a local nonprofit is doing, whether it's something that schools may be doing in your area, there's always ways to get involved. The things that you want to look for is making sure that whenever you're talking to people about what the boundaries are, is that you're never going to be alone with a child. Uh, there's always going to be more than one adult around. They make sure that their parents are involved in this in some sort of way, that they, the children have like some sort of autonomy over this relationship and things like that. So those are just important key things to look out for. That, awesome. Again, that's fantastic. Um, and, and and we love this work. You you brought up so many things that they're doing now. Uh, we'll say doing now because we don't know what they were doing in the 90s. Yeah. That we were just like begging for someone to do in Tommy's case. Because yeah. like for us, it, if you when you look at the episode, I think one of our biggest questions was like, what does an experience like Tommy's like like just them being that close and having that much interaction like what does yeah. that do for like even a child in that situation if you could yeah see it. so it the relationship itself is not unhealthy because Eric is not inherently a bad person he's not a dangerous person and not necessarily and building that relationship and having that stability for a kid who may not have had that previously is a good thing the dangerous thing about it is that there was no like boundary set of like I cannot adopt you or this is what our relationship is and that 
um, one thing they teach us in social work school and a lot of like counseling professions and things like that is that you always have to talk about termination, that this may eventually end. And Eric never talked about that and nobody ever talked about it because even if he did get adopted, there's no for sure, even if he got adopted in Philadelphia, there's no sure way of knowing that that family would have been okay with Eric being around Tommy still. Yeah. So just saying like, hey, I am around now. I want to support you as best I can, but you may be getting adopted or some other family may be around you and I just won't be around. Or even if Eric's like getting, Eric's getting close to graduating college soon, he might even get a job somewhere and go somewhere else. So I think it's just not being as honest and transparent with them about what this relationship is. Like, hey, I'm your brother. I'm not your, I'm not a potential dad. I would like to like care about you and mentor you as you grow up. But that is like, the extent of this relationship. And yes, he is young and he may not fully understand that, but at least somebody would have been preparing him for potentially this relationship ending. So Amber, so you wouldn't recommend telling uh, an adoption agent in front of a orphan, I want to adopt this kid, letting him get excited and then telling him I'm not going to adopt you. You don't think that's a healthy way to go about that? No, because, and to be transparent about it, white children are expensive to adopt. Like, oh, this is are we going there. I was about oh, to okay. okay. talk about that. Was. Yeah, Why is so like, pricey? I, why are they so pricey? Because racism. <laughs> But yes, like, so just thinking of all the paperwork and things that go into adoption, there's a lot of trainings you have to do. There's a home study that you have to do, which Eric obviously would not have passed because he, he did not he have his have own home. home. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting on the couch. And, exactly. <laughs> and there is like, um, you have to be able to afford the, like, you know, the basic needs for them, like clothing, food, you have to live within um you know, show that you know what schools they're going to go to and be ready for their education plan. You have to have insurance, health insurance for them. You have to have, like now, if you do a home study, you have to have a um, fire extinguisher in your house. So you have to pay for that. Make sure your whole like system, your, um, to, your CO2 monitor, your smoke detector, all of those things are up to date. That's money that you have to spend to be able to even just be clear to like possibly adopt a kid. Can millennials um, even adopt at this point? I mean, you said housing. You said, yeah, you said a lot of expensive food. things like health insurance and yeah. food and things that I can't, I can't afford that. Yeah, no, like it's a really, even when it's a fam, another family member adopting a child, like they're, a child really? wow. a family there's a whole list of things that a case manager has to get to like go through I remember talking to families just asking them so many questions that felt really intrusive like how much is your phone plan every month how much do you make every month how much do you pay for like groceries every month like how much gas do you think you spend like these really in-depth questions that sometimes people can't answer and are kind of like just really being vulnerable people that it's it's a lot that goes into making sure that you can afford to take care of this child. Especially if they're white, apparently, because it's yeah. more expensive. Yeah, so he definitely would not have been able to do that. And unfortunately, that is a sometimes not everyone who adopts black and brown children is doing it because it's cheaper. But sometimes it is a cheaper option because they are not as wanted. Oh. This is just... Ugh. You gotta love it. Gotta love everything that this uh, brings up. 2023, say- and we're still getting devalued. Guys, <laughs> yeah. we gotta do better. Uh, you know, I was gonna ask, what is the significance of a storyline like this? So I think that it is 
kind of interesting to see. I think it's something good to at least be aware of because I just think of the trauma of Tommy if he went to California and turned out this family was not a good match. Like either he's gonna get shipped he's either getting shipped back to Philadelphia or he's going to have to start all over in a new foster care system that nobody really knows him or knows anything Mm -hmm. about him. So there's trauma there. Um, And I think it's helpful for people to really see that, to know what's going on with these kids, knowing, seeing how much they really crave to like make human connections, to have stability, to have someone there in their lives. Um, I think it's really good to see that. I think some things that may not necessarily be realistic, depending on what Tommy's background story is, is that he didn't really have a lot of behavior issues um, right. or have any like outbursts or anything, which is kind of unusual. He, Because even that interaction with Eric, where he just kind of pouts, I guess that's his thing. But a lot of times we see more, well, not a lot of times, but depending on the kid, they can have a little more um, of excited type, um, it's more explosive, like exp- um, blah, 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 blah emotions and reactions to things like yeah. that and that's not unusual especially to a child that's been through a traumatic experience um I was gonna say, so i think I it's always, yeah an so it's always attachment theory yeah so it's always good to show the foster care in like some sort of light that is not positive because that's not a lot of people don't have positive experiences we still have even now we have a lot of children who come out who are aging out of the foster care system who when they come out they are still at high risk of being trafficked they are still Mm -hmm. at high risk of experiencing poverty high risk of mental health illnesses of suicide and things like that they don't always have great outcomes so with if we like show it as this beautiful magical system where every child gets adopted and every child gets loved that's not realistic and that doesn't help the people who are being harmed in the system Sure, definitely. Amber, I, you know, I wanted to ask, I know you said that things are a little bit different now, um, but throughout your years and your work, um, were you able to build a, a personal relationship with a kid that meant a lot to you? Or have you purposefully tried to kind of create those walls so that you don't have to break hearts? Yeah, so I, I by accident, I, like I said, I worked in child protective services, so my cases were not as long term with kids. For the most part, I only had my cases for about 90 days. And there was one time where I kept getting one family over and over, and I didn't really express to the child like, hey, I am just here to make sure that you are safe. And then eventually we will like end this relationship. So um, I had seen her maybe through about two grades so and Mm. she was getting ready to move to another school so she was already kind of like scared of like going to this new school Mm. and anything and she was like are you gonna be in my new school with me and I was like oh no I'm not but that's a good thing because it means that you're safe it was really upsetting and her mom called me later on to like help further explain it of like listen baby like if this lady comes in because um, when people are concerned about your safety and they want to make sure that you are safe. So if you don't see her anymore, then that means that people think that we're safe and that you're happy. So I usually try to keep like pretty clear boundaries with my kids and just be like, hey, I'm here until like, I know that you are safe. If we, if you are not safe, then I might have to come around a little bit more. But that was one where I kind of messed up and she was just so little and cute that I like did not really work on termination with her. Wow. You know, honestly, I'm going to say right off the bat, 
Um, this has been so helpful and so informative. And I, I like I appreciate you taking the time because there's just such a depth to the conversation that we knew there had to be. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, it's yep. gotta be deeper than this. Um, but like everything that you brought up is amazing. Um, before we kind of wrap this up, I do want to ask a little bit about you. You've yeah. been doing cosplay and like again, like how did you get into that? Like, um, t- tell us some, some more things about you. Yeah, so I am always the extra friend. Like, if somebody's like, oh, we're going to dress up, I'm like, okay, so are we going to have a theme? Like, what are we doing here? Like, are we dressing up like Met Gala dress up or are we dressing up like cute brunch dress up? <laughs> um, so I just always like doing costumes. I kind of started in college where there was like my first Halloween where I didn't have my mom around to buy me a costume. Yeah. So I just had some clothes that I put together and I had like a yellow ascot and somehow I found like some Mickey ears and I was like, okay, I'm gonna be Mickey Mouse this year. Just put that outfit together. Um, So I started that kind of closet cosplay. And then um, I've always been like this nerd person, like today is superhero day. So I have on my Batman shirt. Hey! (laughs) Uh, So I've always been a nerd. I took a comic book class in college and that really got me restarted into like reading comic books. So from there, it's more just like, how can I make the clothes that I have work to be these characters? Or how can I do my makeup to look like these characters? And I've always really had fun with it. And um, my gra- I also found out that my grandma, not the, the, my other grandma, not the- I was gonna say, this grandma. woman had time for everything. <laughs> she, both of them actually were pretty creative. Like, my, like the one who was the champion for the poor, she like used to be like the one who makes like really cool lunches and stuff but anyway my other grandma she would sew and so I was like well maybe I can learn how to sew and so I've started learning how to sew so I can make my own cosplays now so it feels really good but basically I'm just a huge nerd and I want to dress up you know I it takes so much creativity and so much uh just like a I don't know. It's just so fun to just kind of put on a new costume and be something else. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know, like, do you find that this space is more welcoming to people of color uh, now? Like, I, I guess I've always like saw, saw the Comic-Con scene and it always seems very white to me. It always seemed yeah. like a very white space. So I just wanted to know from your experience, does it seem like it's there's change happening there? Um, it's still a very white space. I think that I know that there is change happening. I went to one of the huge cons. It's called Dragon Con. It takes place in Atlanta. Yeah. It's five days, 24-hour programming. And there was, um, I had gone with a group called Blurred Over. Um, and they specifically Blurreds. work. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. specifically work with Black nerds. And, you know, it was just a group of Black folks in costumes walking around. And this older guy came up to us and he was like, I remember when Dragon Con first started there was like maybe five black people out here. And now I just get to see a whole bunch of young nerds out here, young black nerds out here. And it just really warms my heart. So I think that there is a shift happening. I think it's also just with TikTok and the internet, it's just so much easier to find other black nerds. Um, Like, you know, you used to be where you didn't really couldn't find anybody maybe you mentioned it at school that you watch anime or that you like comic books maybe you get bullied a little bit for it and yeah. you don't find your people so I think it's just easier to find people the space is still um kind of racist well not kind of it still is racist <laughs> hey call it what it is yeah I mean they're not gonna fight me like Sam um, wasn't black <laughs> I get so mad yeah there's still racism in the scene. Um, there's still people who are like, 
well, this character isn't black or you can't cosplay this character because they're not black or whatever other dumb thing. But I think that it's just so much easier to find other black people and other black and brown people and other people of color in this space that are willing to support you and encourage you and even like teach you tips and tricks on how to like make cosplay affordable for yourself. Wow, that's so cool. Just look at them and be like, is Jesus still white in your church? If so, Quiet. Don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> <Blue> by devil. <laughs> uh, is there anything else uh, that you want to tell us? Any uh, kind of homework you want to give our uh, listeners? Anything you want to plug? Or a place where they can find you and follow your cosplay journey. <laughs> yeah. So I am Sailor Ignite. Uh, Sailor as in Sailor Moon. Ignite as in, you know, starting that fire in your life. Um, <laughs> yeah. So on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook if anybody still is using that um so you can find me there my homework assignment is a little related to adoption um it's uh anime that's really really cute it's called spy family it's spy x family depending on who you talk to um the premise of it without giving away too much is that there's this spy who adopts this little girl he doesn't know that she's a telepath so she's like reading his mind and then he has to make this fake family so he marries this woman turns out she's an assassin he doesn't know that either and it's wow. such a great story and all their shenanigans very highly recommended it. it's very funny but it's also a lot of action in it it's a great balance for anybody who's like needing a starter anime or something that's a little like easy and not too like tugging at the heartstrings too hard I'm, like, I'm down. I mean, it sounds like like a Mr. Mrs. Smith, uh, True Lies, uh, and then also um, a little bit of X-Men. Yeah. I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah, you know, like uh, on our, we've had this conversation a bunch that we always feel like, uh, well, horror is really the only thing that's willing to be risky and tell original stories, but anime is right there. Um, yeah. A huge library full of original stories there that, that are, are right for exploring, so. Yeah, definitely. Again, thank you right. so much, Amber, for joining yeah. us. I truly appreciated this this time. I appreciated you reaching out. Uh, yeah. It's been so phenomenal. Um, so, so great thank meeting you. you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Like you're the coolest. <laughs> We're so happy to have you on. Oh my gosh, don't say that. Don't hype me up too much. Thank you. Uh, no, we hype. We hype. We, we we hype you up, especially we for what you, you do. Like you do. Like we always tell people to dream, try, and do good. You out there dreaming, trying, and doing good. You doing all three. Yeah. This is across the board. <laughs> Y'all, I literally was like on a, I was looking for like a Boy Meets World podcast and I was like, I specifically need Black people who are talking about this show. And that's how I found y'all. So I am so grateful for this. Thank y'all so much for all y'all do. I'm like over here, always cheering for y'all. <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> so, you so much. So great, so great to hear. What a cool, what a cool person. Like that was so awesome to have her on and just give us that perspective on this episode that we knew had more meat on the bones. She was able to give us insight that we didn't really have and just put things in the context in the way that really made the story, I think, more rich. Um, so yeah, just super grateful for her to be jumping on. Yes. Uh, all right. So moving on, Amber gave her gave us her homework. See, what is your homework for the week? It's really hard for me to homework without talking about what happened this week um yeah you will have to wait <laughs> my homework is going to be um letting you do your homework request first because i have not okay uh i looked and i do not think i've brought this up yet but have we spoken about jury duty 
No, we haven't, but I've seen ads for it everywhere. I, I'm so excited. I can't, like, let me just tell you. So, Jury Duty, for those of you who don't know, is a show that's on Amazon by way of this app called Freebie. Uh, it's a freebie show. Amazon's playing it. You'll figure it out. Anyway, the whole premise is this guy goes to what he thinks is jury duty, and he's doing like a, the life in a real, uh, a real trial. Unknowns to him is everything, every single person involved, like be it um, the bailiff, the judge character witnesses people walking down the hall they are all actors it is very much the truman show it is very much uh is it truman show is it more like um murderville that show on netflix where like everyone's in on the joke except for one person uh sounds like that i I don't have no idea but like it is very much everyone's in on it but again this isn't like a second or an afternoon this goes on for weeks i think like that the end of it it was like that's 19 days. that's like manipulation <laughs> that's not exactly. a joke anymore <laughs> exactly that's what i'm saying it's not, it's a not joke. like a prank this is like this is like just a full season's worth of, of that's comedy. enough time to form a trauma uh, <laughs> that's what i i want to talk about it because a it's hilarious and it is really interesting when you see like basically they took the formats of a mockumentary so it's like the office is how the whole show is shot but like it always begins and ends with like you understanding that there's only one person who doesn't know that everything else is scripted and a it's like great improv because you're like they have to uh take his responses and kind of react to it but also you could totally tell they're like pushing him towards certain things to get him to respond. And they just really lucked out with this guy. This is an experiment that totally could have went wrong in so many turns. And each and every time, this guy, the guy that they chose just always chooses kindness, always chooses understanding. He's like, oh. one of, and he, it's like one of those tested real guys. Like, you know, like nice guys. There's like, sure, yeah. like say they'll do the right thing. This guy was literally faced unbeknownst to him with like, moral dilemma after moral dilemma and each and every time he just like made the right choice and it's it's a great fun show to watch uh if you like the office but it's also like just a heartwarming show it's like a real life ted lasso yeah wow that's so cool well you know what i I, not this isn't my homework but speaking of real life ted lasso i don't know if you saw you know i i recommended welcome to wrexham for homework a little while ago and they like advanced their season and like I did like a whole storybook romance of you know Ryan Reynolds and and Rob McElhenney coming into this losing it's like a real life Ted Lasso in like a really interesting way so absolutely yeah no I did I did I noticed that um you know for homework I'm gonna recommend the brotherly love podcast actually um we talked about that at the front half of the show um I really love what they're doing like don't get me wrong Joey Lawrence is 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 kind of like a cheesy dad um he's so corny in so many ways he can cheese all over me like honestly (laughs) to this day Joey Lawrence the other day someone in our (laughs) someone in our um messages sent me a photo of all three of them and he was they were just like can we just talk about the Lawrence brothers and I was like I can talk to you about Lawrence brothers all day it just and Joey from day one from day one always 
Joey uh, Lawrence released a rap album in like 1992, and it's one of my favorite things of all time. You can watch the music videos. Actually, that's my that's my homework. Go on YouTube and watch the Nothing My Love Can't Fix music video from Joey Lawrence. It's phenomenal. It's so 90s. It's so ridiculous. Um, it's my favorite thing. Okay. I want to say love does have its limits. Let me just make that clear. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll go, we'll listen to some Joey Lawrence. Uh, again, if you just want to look at his photos, because that boy has made it a mission to just keep us Isn't it interesting it. how like um, so many uh, TV stars just get, uh, you know, these maybe just celebrities in general, but like, I think about Joey Lawrence. I think about like John Stamos. I think about these people who are just like, were handsome and just stayed handsome. Like Rob Lowe just like got better looking somehow. Like, I, the, I don't know what's going on with like Paul Rudd hasn't aged a day. Like, you know, Blair Underwood still looks like Blair Underwood. Like there's just so many, like, uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. And here's the thing. I want to make it very clear. Even if you don't, like, I will say that you are not required as a celebrity to maintain that. And I think there's something free about, like, being able to. But when you do, and you're, like, again, a nice person on top of it, it's just like, man, life really was just like, here's here's a really good hand. Also, you know how Joy Lawrence started off, not there as much anymore, but the hair, it's the hair casting, Joey Lawrence. <laughs> oh, your d- most famous head of hair. Oh, I would say yeah, exactly. I, I feel like the hair is the thing that got him famous. I, I mean, you ain't lying. So, <laughs> you know, uh, here's a true story. If you listen to his uh, record, one of the albums, one of the songs on his album features his hair. What? Okay. No, okay. I made that up. I, made it up. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be surprised. ASMR is a thing. Uh, all right. Thanks, you guys, so much for listening to Rummy's World. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review our favorite, your favorite podcast listen to us on your favorite podcast platforms um keep up with us at rugby's world and all the places please check out uh sailor ignite amber at sailor ignite um at both instagram and tiktok um and And help us get to our follower our subscription uh goal for youtube please follow our youtube page and help us get to uh thousands what's our goal one thousand one thousand. Like, how, how, how are you supposed to help people get there? If yeah, you don't know we can do it. One thousand of you. That's all it takes. Let's do it. Absolutely. You know what? Here's just go hit subscribe, and then you ain't even gotta check it out again if you don't want to. Mm. But if you do want to, again, we'll be serving you face. We'll be serving you hair. Um, and you know, we'll be watching you guys dream. We'll also be watching them try. And doing good. <laughs> Do some good, y'all. Do some damn good. All right. Later, Russ. Later, boo. Russ? I do not blame you if you ended early. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> when this boy meets world.